Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to take some young farmer questions. So, in studio with me today is my son, Zach Hefty. Zach, thanks for being here. It's it's great to be here. First time on the radio show. It's awesome. All right. So anyway, Darren and I have been doing Ag PhD TV for, well, since 1998. So it's almost 26 years now. We've been doing the Ag PhD radio show for about 10 and a half years. And it's been a lot of fun. We don't have in-studio guests on the show real often we're we're pretty remote. We're we're on our farm, and we're broadcasting from there every day. So we do have a lot of people calling in and things like that, and we get a lot of different questions from young farmers. Just I mean, from time to time, a lot of times about their soils and you know how they how they grow and what they need to learn and things like that. So we have a lot of people, a lot of young farmers who are attending our workshops and listening to us and following us. And so anyway. Zach graduated from college last spring, and he's back working with us now. And so anyway, he just had thrown this out to me a few months ago about questions that young farmers would have. So Zach, give us a little background, maybe about you and just where the idea came for all this of <laughs> in a, on a day where Darren's out of the studio, that you could maybe fill in and ask some questions. Well, I had to fill in with my red hair, so since Darren's not here, I had to bring that. But I graduated in the spring, and I came back to work here um, with Egg PhD, doing a lot of social media stuff, and I get a lot of questions from kids my age, since I just got out of school, asking stuff that they might not know the answer to, or their dad might not know the answer to, and so I have a list of questions that... We want to talk about today. Yep. And the other thing, let's just put it this way. If you're a farmer of any age, there's no dumb question. Just ask because there there really is a lot to some of these things. And sometimes there are, um, well, it, it, gets, it gets pretty complicated sometimes. So anyway, without further ado, let's get into your question, Zach. Fire away. Okay. So the first question, how would someone just coming out of school or someone just getting into farming start to acquire some land through renting? It's really challenging today, but quite frankly, it's always been fairly challenging in farming because it's pretty capital intensive. It takes a lot of cash. And so for you to go buy land, buy equipment, buy all these things you need, it's it's difficult. And we're in a higher interest rate environment now. We were we had cheap interest for a long time. So it 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 is more challenging. But anyway, in terms of renting ground and how you rent ground, what we usually advise young people to do is work obviously with your family, but then also maybe do some work with some of your neighbors. And I'll put it this way: the average age of the farmer out there is about sixty years old. That's the average age, which tells you there are a lot of people that are near retirement. I talk to farmers I I work with. All the time. Yeah, I mean, many are in their 60s, 70s. They're getting ready to retire. They're looking for someone to take good care of their land. And so if you start working with another farmer in your area, maybe at some point 
that conversation just continues and you say, hey, when you get ready to retire, I would, I'd appreciate at least the opportunity to be able to rent your ground. And so that's how it happens in a lot of cases. Otherwise, it's through relatives, through friends. So a lot of different avenues there, but you got to reach out and talk to people in your area. And the big thing here is this, you can't outbid anybody when you are when you don't when you're younger and you don't have that capital behind you but what you can do is you can do a great job with their land if you prove to whoever you're going to rent from that you can do a good job taking care of their land and you will you will make them proud that's a big thing and the other thing is there are a lot of older farmers that they really want to get someone that they like someone they trust who is younger into farming. So it makes them happy. It's one of those things they can go talk to their friends about and say, yep, I helped get this person started and I think they're a great kid and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do over the years. Then if you get that land somehow through this relationship, when it comes to equipment, would you suggest they try to find a neighbor or find some used cheaper equipment? Well, in a lot of cases, it's renting it from family. So even like for Darren and me, when we were on the farm and we were kids, we rented a lot of our dad's equipment from him. He gave us a fair price. Now, he he did nothing for free. So, he, I mean, he helped us with things, but I, I mean, we had to pay at least a halfway decent rate on a lot of things. So it's you're a lot of times renting that equipment from friends or relatives, but the other side of it is you can trade out labor sometimes for use of equipment. So in other words, if you say, hey, I'll tell you what, I'll help you do this if you'll let me use that piece of equipment for a couple of days to get a little bit of stuff done on my ground. And sometimes that works out great. So the big thing that I always tell people is when you are younger in your farming, yeah, you don't have an excess of cash, but you sh- you hopefully have an excess of time. And by excess of time, I mean, you can't just get by working 40 hours. It's 60, it's 80, sometimes it's 100 hours a week for a little while in the busy season. But you've got to put the time in because you don't have the, the cash. So you need to have ROI when you're when you're on your farm, but what technology would be absolutely worth it to spend your not your money that you don't have much of? Yeah, and it, well, today we love having auto steer, for example, on our a lot of our equipment. But when you are younger, you probably can't afford some of those things. So it really comes back to got to have yield monitor. It's really nice to have uh, variable rate equipment. So I'd say the variable rate and the yield monitor, those are the top two things. And by variable rate, I'm talking about variable rate seeding, variable rate fertility, that stuff, boy, that can really pay. All right, we're going to get back to more of the questions from young farmers coming up right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Take your tillage to the next level with the Insight Universal Tillage Tool from McFarland Ag. With more adjustability and flexibility, the Insight is the ultimate one-pass tillage tool. Visit McFarlandAg.com to find your closest dealer. Join us in Houston for the 2024 Commodity Classic, New Frontiers in Agriculture. We'll close out the show on Saturday at the Houston Rodeo, the world's largest rodeo and livestock exhibition. Join us February 28th through March 2nd. Learn more at CommodityClassic.com. 
The greatest herbicide of all time earned its title by defending your soybean fields. Authority Supreme Herbicide's low-use rate formula delivers longer-lasting control of broadleaf weeds and grasses, providing you with the best-in-class combination of Group 14 PPO herbicide sulfentrazone and Class 15 molecule pyroxysulfone that outlasts the competition. We're Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC, and we play to win. Learn more at authoritysupreme.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Get the most from every acre on your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and soybeans, a soils clinic, and a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Register today at agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're joined by my son, Zach, Zach Hefty, asking questions that have come from young farmers. Zach, fire away. What's your next question? Why would you take time to learn the stages of the crop you're growing? I just think it's really important to understand whatever crop it is, because you want to know when you need a herbicide, when you need a fungicide, when you need an insecticide, fertility, all those kind of things. And just a couple examples here. So with corn, by knowing the stage of the corn, that helps you identify when to spray dicamba. So dicamba or banville, old banville, very safe to corn pre-emerge, pretty safe to corn from emergence to v2 v2 to v5 getting kind of risky and past v5 extremely risky well if you don't know what v2 is or v5 you might be spraying at the wrong time and that's not a good thing so that's just one example in soybeans when we talk about the different reproductive stages r1 is first flower r3 is first pod r5 is beginning fill just for example okay well with Cobra, we have to spray that by R1, preferably before that, because if you don't, then you're you're starting to take a little bit more risk of, if I don't have rain soon after, my crop can suffer a little bit. If I want to spray for white mold, Cobra is a great option. Another great option is Endura, but Endura's got to be sprayed right at R1 or first flower. And so you want to know not only what the stages are, but when they occur, why they occur, how long till the next stage, and things like that. So anyway, I just, is it the most important thing in farming? Probably not, but I mean, you think about all the dollars that are out there. So like for us on our farm, we farm about 3,500 crop acres. And if I don't really understand that crop very well, then I have 
tremendous risk because we've got so many millions of dollars invested in all this. We don't uh, we don't we don't want to have a disaster out there. Yeah, you just talked about good and bad timings of some herbicides in the crop, but should you keep spraying if you have weeds in the field, even though it's past some of those times? Yep, it gets debatable. So Darren was telling this story a few months ago about a farmer that he was working with. This is like 20 years ago. And it was Cobra, the exact product that I said, we really want to get that sprayed by R1 in soybeans. Well, it was probably R3 or so, and the farmer had a disaster. And Darren said, I'd probably spray it because you have so many weeds, it's going to be a train wreck if you don't. So the farmer sprayed half, stopped because it was burning the beans a lot, and he said, oh, it's it's hurting him too bad. I can't do this anymore. Well, it ended up costing him over five bushels where he didn't spray. Might even been more than that. I know it was at least five bushels. But anyway, it was well, well worth it to spray. Number one, he got more yield. But number two, he had much, many fewer weeds end up going to seed. So a lot of times we as farmers think about this year and focus on this year's crop, but it's much more about long term if you're going to keep farming that ground. Now, granted, if somebody else is farming the ground next year, you probably don't care that much. The next person will. But anyway, my point is if we can stop weeds from going to seed, a lot of times that saves us money in the future because we don't have so many weeds to kill. So on the other hand, what about fungicides? It seems like fungicides are sprayed based on if you get rain and especially in the reproductive stages. Is that the right thing to do, or what would you say? Okay, so whether it's a herbicide, a fungicide, an insecticide, and the question of whether or not to keep spraying is real challenging because we we have to... Uh, I'll put it this way. we're As farmers, we're gamblers, but we have to play the odds and say, all right, what are the chances that this is going to pay? What do I have to invest and how many bushels do I need to get back to make that pay? With fungicides specifically, since he asked that question, fungicides are the most challenging thing that we work with, in my opinion, because once you see the disease, if you go out and you scout your fields, you see the disease, you're already too late. You've already lost yield. And that's so frustrating. With weeds, if you catch it early enough, problem solved, usually don't lose yield or much of it. Same thing with insects. But boy, with diseases, by the time it sets in and you actually see it in the field, um, you, you've lost a bunch of yield. So the fungicide thing does get to be a challenge. And it's when we talk about fungicides, there are really three components we're after. We have to have a susceptible crop. We have to have the disease present. But you mentioned weather. Yes, it is somewhat dependent on rain and everybody focuses on rain, but don't forget about humidity. Humidity is just as important as rainfall. If we have humidity, we don't even have to have a rain because that still makes it pretty conducive for a lot of these diseases to get going. But I go back to you got to have the susceptible crop also, and you have to have the disease present. So, for example, like in our area, we haven't seen tar spot yet. So am I really worried about tar spot? Not too much. But I'll tell you what, if I'm 200 miles to the east, I'm super worried about it because that disease has been present for the last few years. So that's a big thing. And then we look at the the the, the crop. Is it susceptible? But yeah, I, I guess usually, and I'll, I'll put it this way, I really 
plan stuff out on our farm a lot of times a whole year in advance. The reason why I plan a year in advance is because of my my own mistakes or things that I see when scouting. And if I'm out there scouting and I see disease and I know I'm too late, then I'm going to make a note and I'm going to plan a whole year in advance or let's call it 11 months in advance. And I'm going to say, all right, be thinking about this disease. Be ready to go and spray for this disease and make the judgment call at that point. Does my crop look good? Does the weather look right? I mean, do I want to invest that money and make that decision in advance? So on the farm where we're at, we raise one crop per year. So because of that, that's why I'm always planning a whole year in advance. I'm thinking about tillage for the next year. I'm thinking about planting for the next year. I'm doing all these things when it's happening because that's when it's top of mind for you. And what ends up, the way it works in a lot of cases is, well, if it is eight months later, nine months later, 12 months later, a lot of times we forget, well, how was that last year? So that's why I make my notes that whole year in advance. So, so it, it, it's somewhat unique compared to how a lot of people operate, but I've always been a big believer in planning ahead, and that's kind of what I do. So a lot of people hear the word chemical and start to maybe get a little worried about what's happening. Or freak out, yep. How dangerous <laughs> are the chemicals that we spray on the farm? Yeah, fortunately, a lot of them are quite safe. If you follow the label, you use personal protective equipment, then I feel pretty comfortable most of the time. So I, I often, well, for example, I, I've been doing a bunch of meetings with farmers here just lately. And I'll, let me just throw this out. I'll, I'll pull up my one of my last slides here and I'll read what I, what I had thrown out to farmers. I just said, why are egg chemicals under attack so much when each day people use dozens of chemicals including household cleaners, shampoo, soap, perfume, toothpaste, baking powder, alcohol, aspirin, sunscreen, mouthwash, etc. And many of these things they put on or in their bodies. And those are all chemicals. It's just, they're not called chemicals. And so that's oftentimes why Darren and I will use the words crop protection products. Well, if you just hear that, it's not too, uh, you don't get too scared. But as soon as you hear the word chemical, oh no, whoa. Okay, well, if I went into whatever, uh, the perfume shop, and I said, well, do you really want to spray these chemicals on you? Well, then all of a sudden people are going to step back for just a second. You see where I'm going with this. We use so many chemicals personally in the house, and we don't even give it a second thought. If you look at the LD50, the lethal dose, basically, you'll see that many of the products that we're using on the farm are no more dangerous, in fact, in some cases, less dangerous than many of these chemicals that get used around the house. So now, don't get me wrong, years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, there were a lot more dangerous products out there. Fortunately, many of those are gone, so that makes me feel good. But yeah, I'm always concerned about safety for ourselves, for the people that are working on our farm, and then just for the food that we're producing. So it's something that every farmer is paying attention to, and especially for Darren and me when we're making recommendations on a lot of these crop protection products on a regular basis. All right, stick around. We're going to talk more about young farmer questions coming up next. Good morning and hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over! What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. Weed field heaven! Amped? Yeah, he ordered that new Battalion Amp herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. 
This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I... Get amped. Just go to battaliamamp.com. It's gonna be a good year! Always read and follow label directions. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest-lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control, key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kochia, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. Effortlessly manage your farm fertility with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether it's building soil, balancing nutrition, or maintaining fertility. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Join Verify today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. Today on the show, we've got my son Zach. Zach Hefty is answering or asking some young farmer questions. And it's, I'll, I'll say this many of these questions are things that I was thinking about, well, starting years ago. And there are also going to be changes all the time because he's asked questions so far about technology and equipment and renting land and things like that. Well, you know, renting land maybe isn't necessarily that much different. All the prices are a lot different from years ago. But in terms of equipment and technology and just educational things in terms of learning about the crop, I, I mean, there are always new advancements. And so I love agriculture because it is to some degree changing all the time. It's fun. And I just am excited because we've, if I look at 
when I came back to be uh, to be on the farm and to be a full-time agronomist, I mean, it's been well over 30 years now, and I just look at how much yields have progressed. And fortunately, we're in a pretty good time in agriculture. There are a lot of farmers that have been doing fairly well. Because when I was in high school and in college, it was the 1980s. It was the farm crisis. It was bad. I, I, I had so many friends where their families, uh, they, they didn't make it through that. And so fortunately, we haven't seen too much of that lately. There's been a lot of success instead of all the challenges. So anyway, Zach, let's go ahead with your next question. What are some watchouts or things to keep in mind when putting together a herbicide program? One of the things that my dad told me when I was a young agronomist, he said, Brian, here's something that I want you to always think about. It's not the end of the world if you make a recommendation to a farmer and he ends up missing a few of the weeds. You get pretty good weed control, but it's not perfect. It's not the end of the world. You can always go spray something else. And, you know, if you get just have a few weeds left, it's probably not that big a deal. But he said, if you ever make a recommendation and you hurt the farmer's crop, well, that's a problem. And if you hurt the farmer's crop the next year, that could be an even bigger problem. So I always look at crop safety of the current crop and I look at carryover potential. Those are two of my biggest things that I am concerned about. And as long as we're kind of meeting the qualifications there, then I'm good with, okay, now I can pick the herbicide and then I get to choose from the best products that will give me the best weed control. Because there are a number of products that we've talked about here on the show over the years that we just say, I won't recommend. So I just a couple of, that I can think of off the top of my head, like Peak and Finesse. And I, I mean, things that have such long carryover, that's what I worry about. So, but beyond that, it's hurting the crop. I was talking to an agronomist yesterday who said, hey, you remember Achieve from like whatever it's been, 20, 30 years ago, 30 years ago probably, killing some wheat. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we, we got to make sure that we're careful on that end. So that's really the big thing. Um, hey, by the way, Petey just sent in a question with young or new farmers. So I'm going to get to this one real quick, and then we'll get back to your question, Zach. So he just said here, how can young and new farmers be proactive with timing and preparation? Are there any new tools that people can use in addition to a calendar, not just for spraying, but for planting, groundwork, et cetera? Uh, anyway, so Petey, thanks for the question. I'd say this. <laughs> I and I, I brought this up a little bit earlier, but I'm planning things out a whole year ahead of time. So how is somebody who's new to it going to know what am I supposed to do a whole year ahead of time? My best suggestion is just talk to other farmers. It's the same thing I tell young agronomists. You're going to get way smarter if you just talk to a whole bunch of farmers in your area and ask them the questions. When do you spray? When do you plant? How did you decide when to plant, when to spray, when to do the field work, and all that kind of thing. So in terms of any new tools, if there are new tools, I don't really know exactly what they are. Uh, but a couple of things that I, I guess I would mention. So one is Purdue has a GDU calculator. And so, for example, you can zoom in on many different area on whatever area you're from, for the most part, in the Midwestern United States, and I think beyond that, too. But it will show you, okay, if I plant on a certain day, how many growing degree units 
do I need to get to the normal frost date in the fall? And it will show you early frost dates, late frost dates, things like that. So there are some of those kind of tools where it's a, a predictive calculator, basically, helping you understand what variety you would need based on when you're going to plant. Uh, beyond that, there are you can look at old satellite imagery. You can look at a, a lot of different things for, okay, when are crops progressing? When are they finishing? Stuff like that. But beyond that, no, I don't, I, I don't know. The, the best thing I always tell people is just ask people in your area and <laughs> make sure that you're taking a little bit with a grain of salt. In other words, there are going to be some extremes. Some people are going to say crazy stuff to you. You got to maybe throw a little bit of that out, but the more people you talk to, the better chance you have for success. All right, Zach, what's next? So why do you talk about three pre-emerge herbicides for soybeans, which some people think is a lot already, or four pre's, but not for corn? Corn weed control is far easier. I can go out there with status and I can kill every single broadleaf on my farm and there's no question. And bam, it is done. It's awesome. Whereas in soybeans, it's a challenge. I mean, so a lot of people are excited because we have dicamba and 2,4-D tolerant crops. Um, yeah, they're not as good as status, uh, dicamba or 2,4-D, nor is Liberty. Um, I mean, they're, they're and Roundup, we're having all these resistant or at least tolerant weed issues. So we don't have the great answers in corn that are in soybeans that we do in corn, number one. But number two, Try walking into a cornfield in July. I, it's funny. I was just talking to a farmer yesterday who goes, you know, Brian, I'm kind of claustrophobic. So I'll be honest. I don't scout my fields once the corn gets above my head. I can't. I just can't handle it. <laughs> anyway, let's put it this way. He wasn't the tallest guy in the world. So he's not scouting his fields very late. Whereas in soybeans, you never feel claustrophobic like that or usually because Beans don't shade the row very well, and the best weed killer there is, is crop canopy. So when you don't get crop canopy, in some cases ever with soybeans, or certainly way later in the season, that means you have to have more and better weed control, more and better herbicides in soybeans. And if you skip the pre's, uh, you're in bad shape in a lot of cases because those are some of the best weed killers there are, those pre's. So you just talked about in soybeans how they don't really shade the row very well. What if you drilled in the beans? What are the That'd benefits be or is there cons yeah. to that? Yeah. I, in For almost everything in farming, there are pros and there are cons. So the advantages would be you're going to shade the row better, which means you're going to have better weed control and you're going to trap more moisture in there. So a lot of times if you're in a dry area, you want that moisture you and you want the better weed control because a lot of times the beans don't get as tall. So in certain regions, it's super popular to drill the beans or just plant in, in very narrow rows. However, when you plant in very narrow rows and you shaded the, that row out, um, you're going to have more disease issues, especially in a wetter environment. So I, I guess, it, yeah, it all depends on what you're after. Oh, the other thing is when you go to narrower rows, a lot of times people increase the planting population. So now you've spent just a little more as well. You have to have a different piece of equipment than what you're running for your for your corn planting. So there end up being some more costs, but certainly there are some advantages. Why would someone choose strip till versus conventional till versus no till? We often tell people we don't care exactly what you do. Our goal is to help you be successful 
in whatever tillage system you're in. I love no-till for moisture conservation, reducing erosion, building soil organic matter. All those things are great. When we were doing a lot of no-till, though, we had challenges with we couldn't clean up our compaction issues and we didn't get our fertility down deep enough in the ground. Well, with strip-till, we addressed both of those things because we're running a shank down to 10 inches or so. So we've at least cut through, sliced through the top, any any upper level compaction, like at four or six inches, and we used to do tillage and things, and then replacing fertilizer deeper. Now, some people like conventional tillage because the ground will be warmer in the spring. You can mix your fertilizer in better. And I, I mean, so there are advantages to or and disadvantages to any of these systems. We'll get back to more questions from young farmers right after this. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time, adapted to their surroundings, experienced the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids, extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plans, do you think you could cut your farm's fertility expenses, maybe even increase your yields? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're holding our Ag PhD Soils Clinic on Tuesday, January 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the single most important day you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at FarmShopMFG.com. Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions.
This is Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio, joined today by my son, Zach Hefty, and he's asking questions that have come from young farmers. Zach, what do you got next? So we just talked about strip till in the last segment, but when putting fertilizer out using a strip till machine, are you putting out the same amount that you would put out broadcast in that strip? Well, if the question is, are we putting out the same amount? No. A lot of people will put out the same amount, but here's what we know. And we, we did a, an 11-year study on this on about 500 acres where we banded versus about 500 acres where we did not. And here's what we found. So for years, we'd been hearing about how you need to put extra fertilizer out there when you broadcast roughly 50% more P and K in the short term. And the reason why is because, and if you just stop and think about this, for a farmer like us, where we're planting in 30-inch row corn and 30-inch row beans, what are the odds that your corn or your soybean roots during that given year are going to find every drop of phosphorus or every drop of potassium that you put out on that soil? Slim to none. So if you have banded, however, then... Number one, like with strip till, when you, if you have, if you plant right over the top of that strip, now you have no or virtually no compaction down to whatever depth you did your strip till at. And we, we like going down to 10 inches deep, roughly. Well, that means that your roots and roots always take the path of least resistance. So don't get me wrong. They'll grow outside of that strip as well, but they're going to grow down in that strip first and fast. And so if you place fertilizer there, the odds are way higher that the the plant is going to find that fertility. So in the short term, you can usually get by. So a lot of people phrase it as, I can use less in the strip till, but keep in mind, the crop still needs the fertilizer it needs. So you can't technically get by with less but what you have to do when you broadcast is you put out more so we typically put out crop removal in the strip and then we put out 50 percent more than that when we broadcast at least for a few years so what we found in this 11-year study is we could get by we didn't we didn't we really didn't gain any yield by putting 50 percent more fertilizer out there for 11 years in a row we spent so much more money but once we got past that point, we basically stopped our study. Past that point, many of those broadcast fields where he'd put on all this fertility and raise the soil fertility levels, you know what happened eventually? The yields got better. Things got better. So <laughs> all depends on where you're at in your farming career and how you're doing with money. So in other words, our dad always would say to us, boys, if you make a bunch of money on the farm, just invest more in fertilizer. It's kind of like putting money in the bank. What he didn't say is it may be putting money in someone else's bank account, though, because if you aren't going to farm that ground for a long time or your family isn't going to farm it for a long time, you may not want to do that. So we really like banding. If you're thinking, hey, I'm going to have this ground for 10 years or less. We really like broadcasting. And I'm serious. I Even though you say, well, you're spending more in the short term. Yeah, I am. But my gosh, what we've ended up with in the long term with some of these fields where we built up Oh my goodness, it's amazing. So, and then that ground is worth more. We, It's way more drought tolerant, everything else. So yeah, if you're going to own that ground and you're going to farm that ground or your family is for more than 10 years, I really like broadcasting.
So anyway, yeah, again, advantages and disadvantages to each. Also, I apologize because I know you got all kinds of questions here, and I keep going long on every answer. So I'll try to speed up. Go ahead. No, it's it's good. It's actually got literally like twenty eight <laughs> questions, and what have we gotten through? Like six. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. So soil <laughs> testing takes a lot of time and money. Why would someone want to invest in that? You have to know what's out in your field, so then you can better in, figure out how to better invest your fertilizer dollars. So, for example, if you are long on phosphorus, why would you spend more money there? You might actually hurt your yield. But if you're short on phosphorus, it's probably going to pay an amazing return on investment. Maybe you need to put even more than you were originally planning. So soil testing is ridiculously important. I love it. It's great. Now, I'm not saying you have to soil test every year because if you just simply look at, well, how much did I remove last year and how much did I remove the next year and the next year and the next year, you can calculate these things, especially like we're using a software program called Verify so it can take your past yield maps and you can make calculations down, I mean, down to less than an acre on, well, what did I remove for fertility? So we can keep maintaining by using that. What's next? So you may just soil sample. You get the soil test back and you think this is a foreign language that you just saw. How can you learn how to read a soil test? One of the most important things for a young farmer is please, please, please learn how to read a soil test. In my opinion, it's the most important thing to learn on the farm. And I know you're probably going to say, oh, that's crazy. There are other important. Yes, there are lots of important things. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But what I'm telling you here is, if you think about where our yields have gone in the last 30 years, in my last 30 years, well, if we continue that trend, where are we going to be 30 years from now? So, Zach's 22. Okay, so 30 years from now, he'd be 52. That's still considered a young farmer. (laughs) And I know many farmers who are 72. Okay, that's 50 years from now. So, I just want you to think about this. Where could yields be 30, 40, 50 years from now? astronomical, which means do we need more or less fertilizer? More. Well, if you're going to spend all this money in fertility, wouldn't you like to spend it right? For all those years, please learn how to read a soil test. Come to our soils clinics. We can teach you how to do it for free in a day. And just if you listen to Ag PhD Radio, we're talking soil tests all the time. You watch Ag PhD TV, we're talking soil tests on a fairly regular basis. But again, for a young farmer... I think it's the most important thing to learn on the farm, and I'm not kidding. So how do you decide how much fertilizer you need to put on your fields if you have a soil test or if you don't have a soil test? I can't answer that question quickly, but what I can say is you want to always look at what's going to negatively impact my yield the most or turn it around, what could give me the best return on investment? So once you learn how to read a soil test and how to balance soil nutrients, then you go, oh, hey, this thing over here is way out. This is way off balance. Let's let's address that. And then like on our farm, I mean, I might have to spend, let's call it $70 on phosphorus. I might only have to spend $7 on zinc to fix a problem. So sometimes even though the phosphorus would pay me better, I might fix the zinc problem at the same time just because I go, it's only $7. Let's just fix it and have it over with. So, yeah, it just, it, you got to learn how to read that soil test and then you know where to spend those dollars. Oh, and by the way, a lot of soil tests that Darren and I see, and I'll bet you it's way more than half, things are missing. 
I don't see sodium. I don't see zinc. I don't see copper or boron or, I mean, just when you're soil testing and you're taking all that time, spending the money, just get a complete soil test. It costs very little more to get the complete soil test versus just getting most of the nutrients. When deciding what kinds of fertilizer to use, like dry or liquid or MAP or DAP, what are the key factors to think about? A lot of people will tell us, well, dry is cheaper, and so I'm just going to go that way. Okay, well, yeah, per pound it may be, but the liquid is easier to work with. It's more readily available. You can use that with the planter a lot easier. We can we actually have some low-salt sources of liquid that we use that are great that aren't going to have as much negative impact on the seed as the dry. So uh, We use liquid for foliar feeding. There are a lot of places for liquid, but the big thing for dry, when we're typically talking dry, sure, per pound it will be cheaper. And so if you had to really build up your soil, like, for example, let's say you're ridiculously short on potash and you need hundreds of pounds, yeah, go put on potash, go put on dry, but supplement with the liquid for sure. Is it better to front end load all your fertilizer or to spoon feed it throughout the year? All depends on your soil and your environment. So for example, it barely ever rains here anymore, it seems like, and we have super heavy soil. So for me, I can front load a lot of things. On the other hand, if let's say I'm in Alabama, my cation exchange capacity is three, and I get a million inches of rain, well, <laughs> you got a spoon feed for sure. So it all depends on your situation and what you're using. And keep in mind, the things that are most important to spoon feed are the leachable nutrients. So nitrate, sulfate, boron, and to some degree potassium in the super light soils. All right, stay tuned. we got a little time left for more Young Farmer Questions. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You have a lot at stake when it comes to raising corn. I'm Darren Hefty. That's why on Wednesday, January 17th, we're holding a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll help you navigate all the challenges of corn production, including how to manage exploding pest populations, resistant diseases, fertility challenges, and more. It's a day packed with information. So if you want to get the most out of your corn this season, don't miss the free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop. Register now at agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. How can Naturals products help you raise bigger and better crops? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. 
biologicals, or naturals as we call them, are impacting every facet of agriculture today, and that will only grow in the future. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals Workshop, Wednesday, February 7th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of naturals products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio, joined again today by my son, Zach Hefty, who's asking questions that have come from young farmers. Zach, let's continue on your list. By the way, uh, your list of 28 questions, what, what are we up to? Uh, we're technically up to 17 now. Oh, that's, that's, <laughs> I didn't think we were that far. All right. I don't know if I can get 12 questions answered here at the end, but go ahead. So we talked about fertilizer in the last segment, but is it possible to overapply manure? It's possible to overapply anything. With manure, not only do we have to worry about getting too much of any nutrient out there, but we have to worry about getting too much salt. And I always tell people, please look at the salt with manure. That's the number one thing we're concerned about. The second thing we're concerned about is long-term buildup of sodium. So those are factors that you don't typically have to worry too much about with commercial fertilizer. Is there a lot of difference when someone says, I want manure? Do they want dairy manure? Do they want hog manure? Do they want chicken does, does when, it change? Uh, yes, it does, and it changes depending on the livestock producer. So that's why you always want to test your manure, liquid, dry, compost. I don't care what we're talking about. Always test it. Then you know what you're putting on your ground. It's just like if someone said, well, you can have nitrogen. Well, how, what what's the composition? Well, I don't know, but you, you just get it for free. <laughs> You'd go, what? That that doesn't sound right. I would like, like with urea, for example, we know it's 46% nitrogen. So you know how much nitrogen you're putting on. So not testing manure is usually not a good thing. So when you're first starting out, you may not know, but how can you find an agronomist you trust and why is it important to have one? Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of things in life are just trial and error. So what our dad always said was try things on a small scale and then if you do make mistakes, which you will, at least it doesn't break you. So if I was a young farmer today, I'd probably be talking to several agronomists and then you hopefully over time are going to figure out which ones know what they're talking about, which ones you can trust the most, which ones bring the most to the table, and then you may end up working with them more in the future. But it's nice just because nice to have a really good agronomist just because it's very hard to keep up on all the things that are happening in the ag industry. And it's nice too to have someone else you can bounce some ideas off of. Uh, switching over to the seed side, I know you don't care as much about seed variety. Why is that? Because we can't predict next year's weather 
and we can't predict what's going to do well or what's not going to do well for seed varieties. I'd way rather plant a whole bunch of different varieties and spread my risk. I like new varieties because the only reason the new variety came out is because across the board, on average, it's better than the old variety. But the biggest fear that I always have is if I've got something drastically wrong with my soil, well, then I got to be much more choosy. So here's where I'm going with this. On our farm over the years, we've fixed most of the imperfections, imbalances, things like that. Not that our ground's perfect or anything else, but here, let me just give you an example. Iron deficiency chlorosis only happens when your soil pH is high. Well, if you have iron deficiency chlorosis, let's say you got an 8 pH and you end up sometimes a severe IDC, you always need to be looking at which varieties will handle that the best. Okay. And there are other things you can do to lessen the issue in the short term. Long term, if you can just simply get your pH down to seven or less, well, you don't have iron deficiency chlorosis anymore. So that's what I always tell people is let's get your soil right. Now you can pick from every variety instead of picking just from the 10 varieties that are good on IDC. When you're picking your maturity ranges, why does it matter? And how do you choose the maturity ranges where the area you're farming in? We talked about this earlier with that Purdue University growing degree day predictor. Always use that for corn. It's unbelievably helpful. We like spreading the risk again because you might have an early frost in the fall. And that may mean the variety that or the maturity that's always been working for you, well, it didn't this year because that early frost hit and it wasn't quite mature. So you you want to be fairly conservative with that. And I, I'd, I'd say you don't want to take lots of chances pushing maturity so far that every once in a while you just end up with a disaster and you have low test weight corn and super wet corn or green beans or something like that. So be careful. Are tillers in corn and other crops good, or do they steal nutrients from the main part of the plant? Well, they are going to take nutrients in the short term, but in the long term, the plant cannibalizes itself. So it can pull nutrients out of those tillers and bring it to the seed or the ear or whatever it is. So I'm not too worried typically about tillers. I don't really care if my plant has them or it doesn't. Some varieties have more, some have less. It's really not a big deal to me. I don't give a rip about tillers. What I care about ultimately is yield. So no, I'm not too worried about tillers. What are the benefits of rotating crops? Many. The biggest things that I think about are, so I was just talking to a farmer yesterday who had had some beans on beans on beans on beans on beans on beans on beans. And he goes, I got a disaster with soybean cyst nematode. And I go, you know, you can rotate. So plant something else. If you have a disaster with soybean cyst nematodes, just go plant corn for five years and you'll come back, plant beans, and things will be pretty good. So whether it's disease or insects, sometimes weeds and the herbicides you get to use, I mean, those can all be benefits to going to a different crop. Um, Just, yeah, getting some overall biodiversity out in your soil sometimes can help soil health, but I'm not that worried about that side If I just raise an amazing crop of any crop, I feel like I'm going to have 
pretty good soil life. So it's more about weeds, insects, diseases, things like that, where I feel like I'm really going to gain. Oh, the other thing, we like raising more corn when we're trying to build soil organic matter faster. So that's an advantage when you have crops with lots of roots, then you can build your soil organic matter a little bit faster. Not Not that you can't with other crops. I'm just saying I can speed it up then. So just one example of why I might plant a different crop. Is taking out a loan always bad, or how can you use it to make your farm more money? Or money in general? Well, sure. Yeah, you, you just have to look at, well, what's the cost of my loan, and what's what are the odds that I'm going to make more money than what I spent for the loan? So, yeah, having, having a loan can be good, but there's also risk with that, too. So there are a lot of people out there that will say, well, you don't ever want to borrow money. Well, if you don't ever want to borrow money, it's going to be awfully tough to farm. Because I don't know, I mean, it's going to take you decades probably to accumulate enough wealth so you don't have to borrow money and you can spend all those dollars. I was talking about the millions of dollars we have to invest in order to raise 3,500 crop acres. It just, it's very expensive. Isn't all water the same? Why would I need to treat my water before spraying? Well, you can do an analysis of water. We worry about hard water ions in there quite often. That can tie up many of the herbicides that we're using, like Roundup, for example. That's why we put ammonium sulfate in there. But there are other sequestering agents, too, that can tie up those hard water ions. The other thing would be chlorine is in a lot of municipal sources, well, all municipal sources that I know of, and rural water. Well, chlorine will kill biologicals. We use a lot of biologicals on our farm, so i got to have something to neutralize the chlorine. Otherwise, that's a problem for my biologicals. If I'm in high school but want to continue learning about ag, do I need to go to school to learn about it? If so, do I need to go to four-year or two-year, and what subjects would you recommend? Well, you don't have to. Many of the best farmers in the history of the world never went to college. But I'll say this. It is nice to be well-rounded, to learn more about things besides just farming, because, I mean, there there's the business aspect. What if you hire people? How about the human resources aspect? And, and even just like for me, going to college, it was nice because I was from a, a tiny little school. My, my high school graduating class was 17. I liked going to, I went to South Dakota State, and all of a sudden, oh, here are 6,700 students. So you just you learn how to interact with people more. So yeah, I, 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 I'm always going to recommend go to at least a two-year school, maybe a four-year. To finish up my questions today, this has been really fun, but I want to know, is having your son on the other side of the desk better or your brother? Well, honestly, it doesn't look a whole lot different because so Dar- Darren is a unique individual with red hair. Well, guess what? Zach also has red hair. Our mom had red hair too, by the way. Uh, my mom had red hair, but anyway, uh, yeah, it's it, it's been fun. I uh, appreciate it, and one of the things that I just enjoy a lot is being able to talk to young farmers, to young agronomists, to just young people in agriculture who are excited to learn. Last year when we had our scouting and scholarships event, which we always do the last Saturday in June, you can go to agphd.com to learn more about that. But anyway, we got done with that, and I told Darren after we did the radio show with all these uh, young people, I said, this was one of the best radio shows you've ever had. Those are amazing questions, and I just think the future of ag is bright. Well, anyway, thanks for joining us, Zach. And uh, before we go, just uh, uh, I'll tell you, (laughs) thanks a lot. See you again tomorrow.